my name is Liam Poole. I was a corporal in the United States Marine Corps. We were, uh, I was with 2nd LAR, originally Bravo Company, and then I deployed with Charlie Company. Uh, when we deployed, we got attached to uh, 1-8, and uh, we were on the 22nd Mew, 24th Mew. I forget which Mew we were on, but it was the uh, USS Iwo Jima. And uh, we went through the Mew and ultimately ended up in uh, Kabul, Afghanistan last year. I'm 25 years old, and uh, I was born in Darby, Pennsylvania, or um, it's uh, just outside of Philadelphia. Uh, your experience uh, joining the Corps, why the Corps, uh, expectations, uh, what down to just go loose, however you uh, feel like? Um, well, I originally enlisted because I guess I had a, a, a feeling of if I don't do it, I'm going to regret it. I felt like if I have the ability and the desire to do it, then I have an obligation to do it out of the fact of how many people can do it and don't and how many people want to do it that can't. So with me being able to do both, I kind of felt an obligation, you know, especially with knowing in my family within probably the last 50 years and being, you know, enlisting in the military. So. I felt like it was a uh, it was overdue, and uh, ultimately it was it wasn't exactly what I had expected at first, but you know it kind of became what I had expected. You know the camaraderie and you know getting to do all the cool stuff and things like that. So I kind of went into it with no real expectations other than kind of what everyone expects, like what you see on, on in movies and, and what people talk about. And uh, those expectations were about 10 to 15 years out of date. So, uh, but, uh, you know, it, it ultimately all came around. So, And so what was your experience uh, enlisting, going through the training cycle and uh, all that? Well, I always found, I mean, you know, in every instance of training, no matter what it is, um, it's always going to challenge you the way you're going to be challenged. You know, it, it varies person to person, but that's the whole point of the different trainings and stuff. I was always pretty good when it came to the knowledge sections, you know, learning different weapon systems, learning about armor identification, learning about all that kind of stuff. For me, the biggest challenges were usually physically bit of a smaller guy, you know, going through my enlistment, I was pretty steady about like five foot eight, 150, 155 pounds. It was, it was usually the, the, the physical part for me, especially not ever being really introduced into being very physical, uh, before that. But, uh, you know, I kind of found my way and, you know, got some help from friends who did know about that stuff. So, you know, going through training, I, I, it always sucks, but you always like going, you know, looking back on it, it's, it's fonder memories than it is in the present. So, and you went through boot camp at Paris Island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I went to Paris Island. It was, I arrived March fifth of twenty eighteen, and I graduated June first of twenty eighteen. So, I feel like you got out just before it got really hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My when uh, when I I first got to boot camp. It was still about 30 degrees. Um, and when I had left, it was just pushing up into the mid to high 80s. So it was, 
you know, when I first got there, everyone, everyone got pneumonia the first week because they would sleep with the windows open. Like it was summertime for fresh air. And so the whole squad bay would become freezing cold and you just got one wool blanket to keep you warm. So everyone got real bad pneumonia for the first week. And by the time we got to the crucible, it was already ungodly humid and hot. And so we just kind of got screwed on both ends. So, I mean, I was there from May to August and even then I remember we, we had the windows closed most nights, but it still got cold as hell in those squad bays. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. It, didn't, it did not matter how hot the day was. Yeah. It was, it was always cold at night. It's just a big concrete building. So there's no way to, no way to really get it hot. Wow. Any stories or experiences you want to talk about boot camp? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's always, it's always, boot camp's the funniest place you're not supposed to laugh. So there's all, all kinds of, of stories and stuff. I, uh, one of the guys, Stitz, he had kept a secret journal about every day about just the, the funny, dumb things that happened. And, um, I always think it's funny thinking back onto the first time, you know, you have to, you just get zero privacy. And so the first time they just shove 45 people into the shower at the same time. And then everyone's all freaked out by it. And by day three, people are doing like tribal dances just in the, in the showers, just being absolute nutcases. So it's, it's just funny watching that transition over time of people, you know, finding the instances that they were originally shied away from and then just fully embracing them after time of just being forced to. So it's always, uh, it's, it's cool watching those transitions, I guess, but it's, it's funny to watch in the, in the, in the, in the present. Yeah. I remember uh, telling my wife sometimes stories about it and it's just like, because well, you know, the, uh, toilets, no stalls or nothing, oh, yeah. just a bunch of toilets in a decent sized room and you're just like sitting there taking a shit and you're looking across the way and somebody else is sitting there taking a shit and you're just like, what's up? Yeah. You just, it, well, that, that almost became like the, uh, like the barbershop where everyone would just sit down and just talk and just hang out and read their mail. There's always someone yelling at someone cause they're not, they're not going fast enough. They got to go to the bathroom and stuff. So yeah, it's always, it's always, uh, interesting having to stack up three people to one urinal cause you got 30 seconds to do everything you got to do. So I remember we I remember we called it the uh, the Congress. That's what we called the, the shitters. <laughs> and I think at, at one time we were at the gas chamber or something, and we shoved like maybe twelve recruits into one porta potty. Yeah, I remember yeah. Um, they had uh, they had given us the 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 like the 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 I don't know. I guess they were like the jujitsu gloves that we never used, and uh, guys would dig them out of their sea bags and at night at like probably two o'clock in the morning they'd have a fight club in the shower of just people just beating the piss out of each other and then just using those you can only hit with the gloves that way it wouldn't leave any bruises so the next day the instructors wouldn't have any idea but yeah they, I, I just remember hearing people beat the crap out of each other every time we go to use the bathroom at like you know two three o'clock in the morning just before we woke up yeah it was always funny and uh after boot camp I'm assuming with a Geiger. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, so we had to wait, I think two weeks in a holding company while the boot camp class behind us graduated. Cause we didn't have enough people for our ITB class. 
so we got put up in Mike Company and Geiger for two weeks, waiting for them uh, for Delta Company from boot camp to show up so we could be in uh, Delta Company in in uh, ITB. And um, yeah, we we ended up doing that. And uh, once Delta Company showed up and we went on to our actual training phase, they sat us all down, all like 200 people, basically of one squad bay. And uh, they just told us, sit there, shut up, don't do anything. And uh, we, they came in with a list. It was two of the instructors came in with a list and uh, they had, started reading off names and my name was like, I don't know, like the eighth one down. And they said, Hey, if you're one of these 20 names, we just read, grab all your stuff, go up to the, you know, the third story and sit there and wait quietly. I was like, I was like, I've seen this in movies. I'm like, they're going to start experimenting on me. This is, this is it. I was like, no one's going to know I ever existed, you know, all that stuff. So, but that's when, you know, they came in and they said, Hey, you guys were the guys with the highest, you know, GT scores, you've been selected to be 0352 missilemen and they're like you guys know what that is and nobody knew what the hell that was i had enlisted trying to be a machine gunner till we did the crucible and i realized how much i hate hiking with weight and i was like man i'm not hiking with a 22 pound machine gun that's not gonna happen and then they go yeah you guys are the guys that carry the most weight because just one javelin missile is like 30 pounds and I'm just like, sweet. I really got screwed. And they're like, yeah, you have no choice because you guys are the smart guys, so you have to deal with the missiles. And I was like, awesome. So I did the whole training, and uh, I actually really enjoyed it. I uh, I graduated. I mean, they expect everyone to graduate top, so obviously you can't graduate top. I had missed, I'd missed one point on one of the – like disassembly tests for one of the missile systems. And um, they ended up the, the top of the classes got to shoot missiles at the end of the class. And I missed it by the one point. So they gave it to my buddy, Lewis, who he ended up uh, shooting a javelin, which I would have really liked to, but hey, bygones, be, you know, be bygones. So, but yeah, that was, uh, I found out ITB. So boot camp is pretty chill. For the most part, it's kind of just like a mind game the whole time. But ITB was like what I expected boot camp to be was what ITB was, where I watched, you know, I, I saw instructors, you know, drop kick dudes in the chest and, and, uh, you know, push them up against the wall by their throat and things like that. And that's, I mean, it's, it's, it's rough and it's, you know, but that, that's that's what you got to do to start the basic building block. The dude, dudes who are going to go into combat, you got to desensitize them to being shocked by violence, you know. And it was never, no one was ever hurt by anything. It was mostly just for shock and awe, you know. Most people have never been pushed or, or you know, abruptly hit or anything in their life. So, you know, you, you push someone in the back, they're going to, you know, freeze and uh not know what's going on so it's just kind of doing that to to get people you know out of that mentality of you know just being shocked by by violence and um uh you know they would when we did the medical training they would they would show us for probably like an hour or more just videos of people getting blown up and shot and all kinds of stuff just to desensitize 
to just gruesome violence and, and things like that. So it's, it's not easy at first, but eventually it comes and you start just kind of being like, okay, it's what it is, you know, which it's not stuff like that. Isn't a replacement for actually the first time seeing shocking and violent things, but it definitely helps you rationalize in your mind. You know, it's, it's, it's less of a jump into, into cold water, I guess. So were your combat instructors all combat vets? I know, I think all of mine, but like one was yeah. a combat vet. So all of all of my instructors were combat vets. I think about about half of them had, you know, like confirmed kills in combat, things like that. We had one of the first female instructors. She was a mortarman instructor. She had originally, I don't remember what her original MOS was, but she had reclassed. I think Lat moved to being a mortarman and uh, she was one of the first females to pass ITB. And uh, I think as a sergeant became uh, certified as a mortarman. And that was her, I guess, I guess that would have been her secondary MOS or I don't know if she lap moved and became her primary MOS, but either way she was, um, she was a, uh, I think she was the only one that wasn't in combat. I could be wrong, but I, I don't think she was a mortarman if she was ever in combat. I think she had something to do with motor transport or something like that prior. Um, but yeah, all of my instructors were at least had one deployment to Afghanistan. If not some of the, there was one, one instructor, I'm pretty sure he had at least two and maybe one to Iraq. He was a little bit of an older guy. So, but yeah, they were all, they were all, pretty salty um i know one of the machine gun instructors i'd seen him years down the road uh doing a training uh not training i guess it was a uh tryout for marsoc so i mean he was he was still running and gunning for a good while so i guess he was trying to get back into it but uh yeah they were all they were all pretty salty pretty well tested really actually it was they, they were all kind of assholes but i mean looking back they 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 had a right to be assholes because we were all a bunch of stupid idiots. But, um, you know, it was actually a really, it was a blessing to have those guys because they, you know, had the experience, and the knowledge for when we had those questions, you know, about, you know, either job related or just, you know, uh, generalizing about going into fighting and their mentality and stuff. They had those answers or at least, enough for us to get the idea so it was honestly a blessing to have those guys yeah and it was it was the same for uh, me and my class like uh, i would like you i would say they're all assholes but at the same time they looked out for you and they wanted you to they wanted you to learn and be prepared for whatever eventuality if you did eventually yeah. go into combat yeah definitely and uh so you were singing up you're seeing a lot from the beginning to b52 yeah yeah, so um, I was one of the, the original prospects. Um, you know, they don't actually do any of the, the actual MOS, you know, job-specific training until like halfway through when you get to the split. But um, I was originally prospected to be a 52 from the start. And I think I think all of us, except for like one or two, we had we had... We had two guys get dropped out. One went to the psych ward and one got 
kicked out for uh, refusal to trade, which is coincidentally they were brothers. <laughs> um, they were the the, the Wainers, and uh, one the the younger one. Uh, the one day they had they they had found him out in the quad just at like midnight, just sweeping in his boxers or in his skivvies. And they came up and they were like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm on a secret mission from the president. Just literally just all the marbles were gone. And they were, they, they actually, it was, you know, it's the same asshole instructors. They were actually really, you know, uh, good about it. They were like, okay, you know, like, do you want to come wait inside and stuff like that? You know, they were, they weren't, you know, it wasn't like full metal jacket where they, they, you know, goes complete psycho on them. They, they, you know, were able to kind of keep it at a calm collected level till, uh, you know, medical personnel came, picked him up, took him to the psych ward. He was gone probably about a month later. And then, uh, his brother, like literally three days before graduation, just quit, just decided he wasn't going to do it anymore. You know, he wasn't going to take the final test. He wasn't going to, he just, he just gave up on everything. And, uh, it wasn't until after that we found out that their older brother, like a year and a half prior, had also enlisted in the Marine Corps and had also not made it for some mental related thing. And we we were just like, man, they're Marine Corps three for three on that family. They're not flying any any Marine Corps flags on Fourth of July. You know, they're <laughs> not having a, a good reputation. But but yeah, yeah, pretty much everyone from the start who was prospected to be a fifty two became a fifty two. Um, there was one dude that they pulled from the 11s course to be 52 and he was so resentful for it the whole time because he just wanted to be the dude kicking doors and everything and uh, and to this day he he absolutely loves being a missile man like he, he posts pictures and videos of them at the range all the time and stuff like that so but uh, it was just annoying to hear him complain the whole time and now he's all he's all about it so I'm sure once he shot his first missile, that was. Um... Oh yeah, it's 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 tough to uh, you know send a 65 pound you know anti tank missile downrange and not you know be excited. It's it's a big adrenaline rush, you know. So knowing knowing that one little you know accidental muscle twitch, you just wasted almost like you know seventy thousand dollars of taxpayers' money into the dirt. So it's it's. Uh, it's an anxious job, but it's fun. So, uh, from Geiger graduated around what time and, uh, where'd you go? So Geiger, we got there, we got there June 10th, spent two weeks. So we started, we started right before, right at the beginning of July. Cause I remember we had like training day one and then we had fourth July weekend. So they like didn't do anything for the first like four days. Um, so it was like early July, I think it was late September. Um, we had graduated and the class before us all went to second LAR, all, all like 25 people all went to second LAR. And, uh, we were like, you know, basically everyone was expecting us to go to different victory units, one, eight, two, two, three, six, you know. Uh, we we're all expecting to go to different cap platoons. That's basically how they had trained us the whole time is to go to, to uh, cap platoons. And um, we had heard, you know, at, 
it's 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 like college graduation, you know, or, or college acceptances. You see, you start seeing where your orders are. You see where all your buddies are going and who got it, you know, taken to what units. And we all started noticing from the codes we were going to first LAR, second LAR, third LAR, you know, alphabetically. And um, so like the first third alphabetically went to first. I was in the middle, so I ended up going to second. And then um, the, the the last of the alphabet guys, they all went to, to third LAR. And um, we, everyone, I was excited because, I mean, that was the closest I was going to be to being a mechanic like I was in the, you know, prior to the Marine Corps. So I was really excited. I, um, you know, I, I love vehicles. I love getting to do all that stuff. So being able to be on like an actual like armored vehicle crew was like something I was super excited about. And um, everyone else was super upset. And then after we did our final range, they brought us all into the classroom for the, you know, the, the, the missileman ceremony when everyone who shot a missile gets a the, the O-ring snapped on their throat. And, um, you know, they had brought us in and they, they had the, the, the projector screen down and they lifted the projector screen and showed everyone's name and showed all these different units, like, you know, Victor 1-8, you know, Victor 2-6, Victor, you know, 1-7, like all these units and everyone going everywhere. And they were like, yeah, we we're all playing a joke on you. No one's going to LAR. We're go- you're all going to your victory units. They were all excited, super happy. I was super let down. And they were like, nah, just kidding. You're all going to LAR. Ha ha, losers. And uh, I was super excited. And they were all like ready to kill themselves. And, <laughs> and um, yeah, that, that, uh, that, that was on the Saturday. That was our final range. And I think our graduation was the following Monday or Tuesday or something like that. And, um, we graduated and, um, so most of the other guys, they were getting sent to California where, you know, one, uh, first LAR and third third LAR were, uh, but second LAR was just down the road at Camp Lejeune. So everyone else was getting ready to get picked up by their families to get taken to the airport or whatever. And, um, we had, uh, some some corporal had come up to us and they were like, Hey, are you, you know, pool? And I was like, Yeah. And they were like, All right, do you know these guys? And he, he showed me a list of like seven names and it was all the guys going to cycle on LAR. And I was like, Yeah, I know I'm I'll go grab them. So I grabbed them, brought them all over, and then um a, a gunnery came up and then I think it was Yeah, it was uh it was a gunnery sergeant and our master sergeant came up. I was like, what the f-? I was like, why are we? <laughs> it, was, it was, it was our section leader, our platoon sergeant, our company gunny and our battalion master guns all showed up to pick us up. And I was like, why couldn't it have just been some Lance corporals? I was like, I don't want to. So I ended up riding shotgun with my company gunny as a private, I was still a private. Uh, Cause even though I'd gone to vocational school, they didn't count those credits. So I ended up, I was a 21 year old private who was older than most of my corporals, which is just absolutely garbage. It sucks. Um, being told what to do by a 19 year old kid. And um, so he had taken us 
to our unit and we had started the whole process and we were the first boot drop in our company in like a year and a half. So not only did the weapons guys want to come in and mess with us, that, you know, was our platoon. Um, all of their buddies who are all of the 11s and the crewmen and everybody just wanted to come and screw with us. So we would get our room inspections done and it would be by like 11 people at once. And the, it was just an absolute shit show every time, you know, and uh, it's funny to think about now. But at the time I was we were living in pure panic and anxiety for like almost a year for like probably the first, definitely the first like six months just getting messed with by the entire company until basically the next boot drop showed up and then they kind of ignored us. But, um, yeah, it was actually, um, really cool going to weapons. I, I really lucked out and got a lot of really fantastic NCOs that, you know, started me on my Marine Corps path and kind of showed me right from wrong and, you know, etiquette when it came to like uh, infantry etiquette you know kind of like dealing with things without paperwork and just you know looking out for your buddies and things like that and uh you know they they were you know you really can't can't beat the seniors that i had i mean it came at a price of getting screwed with all the time over everything but um you know it's like having a big brother so uh, do you remember the guys that uh, you were with initially? I'm pretty sure you had some of my peers that were that I graduated ITB with. Probably, I remember. Well, I had um, Martis, Sergeant Martis. He was Corporal Martis. He was the one who picked us up from ITB. Uh, it was Martis, uh, Corporal Tarowski, Sergeant White. Um, there was uh, Mulcahy. Um, our our uh, platoon sergeant was um, oh, I can see his face I can see his face but I can't remember his name right now um, we had a lieutenant for like the first week where he ended up going to recon I think it was recon um, it was Lieutenant Seacrest. I remember that. I think I have his phone number in my phone still. I think I remember um, him. Yeah, he was he was really cool. He was a really cool dude. But I only really knew him for like a week. He was already on his way out when, because uh, they had all just come back off their deployment so recently that, like, we had dealt with them for like two weeks, and then they all went on post deployment leave, like right at the same time, we got hit with Hurricane Florence, so we were just like unsupervised for like two weeks, three weeks. But, um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, yeah, there was a whole bunch of Roberts. I remember Roberts bunch, a bunch of really good dudes, but yeah, they, 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 they showed us, you know, right from wrong in the expectations and, you know, being, being a less supervised platoon, being weapons platoon and being less understood than most of the other line platoons. Um, Basically, if we were able to kind of keep our shit together and stay on top of our game, we got left alone by the company. They didn't, you know, expect us to go out on these different training ops for like, you know, the the, the crewmen and the, the 11s as long as our, you know, 
our guys were on top of their stuff and at you know peak performance. So we ended up doing a lot of our own training. Um, we had actually didn't have vehicles for the first four months that I was there. We didn't have any vehicles because they had just gotten rid of the old hammerhead LAVs and they were waiting on the new, we call, I mean, we started calling them the Wally turrets, but the new Misselman turrets with the um, remote turret. And we were waiting on those ones. I think we got them in January of 2019. And um, we, uh, so we didn't even have any vehicles to practice on because we had trained on Humvees uh, up to that point. And we didn't have any new vehicles to start learning from scratch. So, um, didn't y'all uh, didn't y'all come down to our vehicles at one point? Because we got ours about maybe in the spring, twenty eighteen, summer twenty eighteen. Yeah, I, I remember that they had brought over a vehicle on our like. It, it, I guess it was like indoctrination day or whatever. Like our first day there, when we showed up, they had a vehicle parked out in front of the company office for us to check out and uh for our families to check out and they were like yeah this is pretty sweet but you won't have one for like a hot minute i was like thanks <laughs> but um yeah it, it was i think that we had done a little bit of training on you know optimal opportunities um where we borrowed vehicles i think i remember doing reload drills which to this day i still hate but um yeah, I think I think we had borrowed them a few times, but we didn't actually get any of our own vehicles till till like January 2019, and it got delayed because of the hurricane. But yeah, yeah, I remember the hurricane. Yeah, me and me and all the boys were like, you know, had never gone through a hurricane before. All the dudes who were from like Florida and from like you know the south and stuff, they all went back home. They said screw it. But all all of us guys who were like all the West Coast guys and. The guys from the north were like, "Man, we're gonna we're gonna stay here and ride it out." We didn't realize that they shut the power off three days before the hurricane, and we spent like three weeks without power. It was just sucked. <laughs> yeah, I remember because uh, we had uh, we had already chopped over to one two for our deployment for our workup, mm -hmm. and their orders were: if you live in the barracks, you're staying. Yeah. So I <laughs> I remember because. I mean, you know, I'm from Louisiana, so I've been through more of the fear games. I went through Katrina, Rita, Ivan, mm -hmm. the whole Gustav, the whole nine. And uh, when we got the word, like, oh, we have to shelter in place. I'm because at that time they were still broadcasting a Cat Five storm, yeah, coming in. And I'm like, you want us to shelter in place for a Cat Five storm? I was pissed. <laughs> yeah, I remember uh, we had all stocked up. Me and my roommate, me and my roommate Missyak. Um, we had bought every case of beer we could find for like a week beforehand and uh, probably four, four fifths of whiskey or something like that. And it was all gone in like a week and a half. We'd done the math. It was like 11 gallons of beer and like four fifths of whiskey that we all drank in like a week. And, a half. and it was, that was just between the two of us. And um, since we couldn't go out to take the trash out and stuff, we would just crush the cans with the door open and we'd just throw them out the door and they'd get sucked away and like mock Jesus. And, um, it was probably not the right thing to do, but <laughs> that was, that was what we had to do. Otherwise we would have been swimming in beer cans. And then Missy got so drunk that he tried walking up to the downstairs and, uh, he rode his shin bone down the steel steps and completely like gutted his shin. 
and had to get stitches done in like a completely powered down hospital. And he was so blacked out that uh, that he didn't even feel it or care. But uh, yeah, it was pretty funny. They they had made drinking on base illegal for like a day because they were catching so many drunk Marines walking down PT Road um, that were like wading through the river water. But yeah, yeah I remember that now. <laughs> yeah, and they had a there was a boat stuck in the middle of the road for like a week, <laughs> and there was a car crashed into a into a tree that they'd taken all the bin plates off of. Yeah, I remember that. That was that was that was a fun storm. Yeah, I remember hearing about the boat because Mo- I think uh, Mobley and uh, McGovern went down there to go check it out. Yeah, a bunch day. of people jumped on it and they were like standing in it and like you know partying in this like beached boat in the middle of the road. They, I think they had to have like PMO go and like watch the thing until they could tow it out of there. Yeah, that was. Yeah. So. Uh... We spent most of your time with Bravo, and then it was probably when we got back from our deployment in, uh, what, July, August 2019. Yeah. It wasn't too long. I think – I don't know if you chopped over then. I know Miziac did. Yeah, I – I'm trying to think. So we had – our platoons in Bravo had kind of rotated around a little bit um, leading up. And then our chop over, it was about then. I remember it was, I'm trying to think. It was, no, I think it was a little bit later. Because in 2019, in, oh, what was that? May of 2019, I had gone with Bravo Company to Finland. Um, Well, it wasn't Bravo Company, it was just 1st Platoon. Uh, Bravo Company. We had gone to Finland for operation or for exercise Aero 19. Um, and we had gotten back and um, we had gotten our new boots and then we had chopped over. And I remember that was right towards the beginning of COVID because um, we had been selected uh, for the, it was, it was first platoon had been selected to go on the Mew because they only wanted one platoon of LAR. And then they were just going to take uh, the AT section. So it was going to be a platoon plus. And then they had opted for a few more LAVs. The, the Mew wanted a few more LAVs. So they made it a, they wanted basically a, a slightly larger platoon plus almost two platoons. So they got two more LAVs, uh, LAV 25s and there was going to be six LAV 25s, two ATs, the wrecker and logistics vehicle. And then they had uh, petitioned for one more logistics vehicle. And then they added a whole nother platoon and just made it a company minus. Then, then the, what was originally weapons platoon got folded into second platoon. And then second platoon became an experimental hunter, uh, hunter killer team with LAVs following similar protocol to how javelin teams work. And um, that was, that was pretty cool. And we had, we had done some throughout the whole workup, you know, um, trying to do new SOP practices and figuring out different ways to be able to utilize a, like a, an LAV hunter killer team in, 
basically modeling it off of a combination between how cat platoons operate and how javelin teams operate and just kind of figuring out how to do that with 14 ton vehicles. But, um, yeah, we had, I remember because we had, um, when I had chopped over, it was like right at the beginning of COVID because we had, um, when the COVID lockdowns first started, Dudes were starting to, because they were cooped up in the barracks, starting to get in fights like every night. And then we were doing a going away party for Mulcahy as my senior. And then one of the other dudes from Bravo Company. And they we were doing two separate going away parties at the same time. And then it just turned into one giant brawl where everyone just started beating the crap out of each other. And... <laughs> It was, we had this female lieutenant. It was her first time as OOD. And she had come out of the duty hut and seen just probably close to three or 400 Marines just beating the crap out of each other. And I, I swear, she must have been like five foot two. It was just this small, small person. And all she did was she took her gun out of her holster and just held it in the air. And she was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And one, I forget who it was. It was one of the gunnies. And he was just like, just let it ride. And it was just, <laughs> all they did was they just called up PMO and they just held everybody in the same area until everyone either got knocked out, blacked out, or went back in their room. And, uh, but they didn't show up in time. And someone from artillery across the street started throwing beer bottles at someone's truck. And then Bravo Company and Charlie Company, who were seconds before beating the piss out of each other, picked each other up, ran over to artillery, and just started decking anyone that was outside, just pummeling people. And uh, and then PMO showed up and contained it. And it was just, I mean, you can't, you can't, you can't make stuff up like that. You can't just, you know, even you know, you don't see that stuff in Hollywood, let alone you know, just it's just a crazy time. But yeah. Um, that was, that was right at the beginning of our chop over and right when COVID started to calm down, well, not calm down, but enough where they started figuring out the regulations. There's probably, probably about a month or two into our chop over that we actually started like going out and starting to do training and, and figuring out what to do and stuff like that. So, um, our workup, we had a, and what sucked is we'd started our workup while we were still just a platoon plus. And then every single time we added people, we had to restart the whole thing. So everyone got caught up. So first platoon and the weapons guys ended up doing the same workup three times over at the same time. Not to mention, since we had to go out and cross train with one eight they would send out like one or two companies and rotate their companies out for the training. Whereas LAR had to go with every single training cycle because we were the only LAVs. And so we would go out. It was, it was, it was like deployment on base. We would go out for a week and a half, come back for a day and a half, go back out for a week, come back to back for two days, go back out, come back for six hours and go back out. Like we were just, constantly run to the point where like all of our vehicles had broken down because we just didn't have the time to maintain them or do anything because we were just constantly training. And, um, we had done that for the better part of a year. 
maybe a year plus. We hit all the check marks. We did all the different training, got to do some cool stuff. Um, and then we did it. We did a rotation through California. We've done the, the underwater egress training. We've done even through COVID managed to do every single check mark on the, 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 uh, the workup sheet. And, um, when we finally were getting ready to board for our last ship op, the way we were going to do it was we were going to board. We, we, we had to do three ship ops. One was just like three days. And then one was like, I think a week. And then the last one was going to be for two weeks, but that was going to go straight into the deployment. So we had done on the final ship op, we had loaded up on the, on the LCACs on the aircraft, the, uh, the, the hovercrafts gone out to the ship. And um, we had boarded the ship and we ended up doing uh, ship ops and just living on ship for two weeks. And we went, I think, down to the Gulf of Mexico and then back up. We came back onto the beach in North Carolina one last time to pick up a few extra dudes who were quarantined during that time for COVID. And when they got cleared, they, uh, they got on ship with us and a few people who didn't get cleared we had spent two weeks going back up to Norfolk. So they got bussed up to Norfolk. We picked them up in Norfolk. And then there was one dude with us, Corbett. He ended up getting COVID again. And they ended up just flying him straight to Spain. And he got like a month free in Spain, just hanging out. So he showed up. He had tan lines all over him. And, you know, we had been living in the steel ship for the whole time. So we were, we were like, oh, nice of you to join us. But, uh, yeah. And, uh, after leaving Norfolk, we had we had crossed the Atlantic. We had hit one bad storm, and uh, enough to one dude got sent off the ship because he got thrown out of the 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 uh, the fourth rack, ended up cracking his forehead on the floor, and he got all messed up. And they sent him home. One of our guys who was on the other ship because first platoon had got put on to, uh, I guess it was the San Antonio, and uh, he was in the gym, and he had he was benching and he ended up having a, a pectoral detachment and he ended up getting sent home but yeah we had pretty much had a pretty smooth i mean other than the butting heads of uh, you know of of just general butting heads between the navy and the marine corps and um you know it was pretty smooth you know marine corps wide you know units weren't really being assholes to each other other than just wanting their personal space so like you know random dude walks through your birthing you're like who the fuck are you you know kind of stuff but other than that it really was pretty uneventful we had because of covid been pretty much trapped on ship the whole time the mew before us got real screwed they spent basically the entire mew just sitting on ship they didn't get off like at all whereas for us we had um trying to think the first place we stopped first place we stopped i believe was spain I think when we first got there, we first got to Spain and uh, we did disembark, clean the vehicles. We were there for a good couple of days. I think we got two or three days liberty there. It was all restricted to the, to the base. We weren't allowed to leave anywhere, walk around or check out anything. But we had done that. After leaving Spain, we went back up the uh, European uh, coast and... We floated around a little bit in Norway, around Norway. I think we we did like 
some kind of like ship ops. I don't know. It didn't involve us. It was the Navy was doing their training. So we were just hanging out. And then we had gone and done mostly just as an excuse to try to get some of the Marines off ship. We had, um, for, they had needed to do flight ops for the LCACs. We ended up disembarking in Scotland and we got to do some, uh, it was like five hours. We just kind of made some BS training and just kind of got to, got to spend some time on dry land in Scotland, which was actually surprisingly cold. It was still, we had left Norfolk in March. So we had gotten to, I guess it was about May when we, when we were in Scotland and after leaving Scotland, we had worked our way back down to the, to the Gulf or the, the Mediterranean and stuff. But yeah, I guess, I guess I'm just ranting. I guess I'm just rambling about the, the deployment right now. No, this is good. Keep going. Okay. And, um, so yeah, after leaving, after leaving, um, Scotland, we had worked our way down and went through, I guess, what is that? The Strait of Gibraltar through the, the Mediterranean, the, the mouth of the Mediterranean. Um, that was our first time doing any kind of, well, we'd done live shoot out in the Atlantic and that was pretty cool. But our first time actually doing any kind of actual security was through the Strait of Gibraltar. And that was, that was pretty cool being able to look on one side of the ship and seeing Europe and the other side, you see Africa. It's a pretty cool area. You see, it's, it's a lot of, you know, cargo ships and fishing vessels and stuff. So you get to see a lot of nation flags flying around and stuff like that. So you're just looking around, but it's, it, there's no real threats in, in that area. I mean, you're just kind of looking out, but the, the probability is so slim that it's more or less just being there is enough of a deterrent for them to want to do anything. So, um, we had made our way through, um, after leaving the, uh, through the strait and made our way up to Greece. Well, specifically we went to Crete and that was our first time actually getting the opportunity to go out and see actual like different points of interest on the Island. They had like a vineyard and there's like an olive farm or whatever you want to call it to, to, to go check out and you can go to the beach and things like that. But you had to buy tickets cause they could only allow so many people and tickets all got bought up by the Navy like this second they dropped because they, it was, it was everyone who wasn't doing anything there and on their sleep cycles, their buddies all, uh, went bottom tickets and we, uh, we had training to do on ships. So by the time we got done with all of our training, there was no tickets left for anybody. So it was basically all the Navy got to go check out everything. We just had to stay on the pier and, uh, drink, which ended up not working out for the Navy because the Marines got all drunk and threw up everywhere and, yeah, it didn't. It you know people got people got hit, but that's just how it goes. But I think that was around. So also on the deployment, I forgot to say we had we had an incident of a of a we called him the Phantom Shitter, and he would just or she we don't know to this day we don't know who it was, and they would just go around the ship to all the blind points, and we don't know if it was Marine Corps or we assume it's Navy because it's happened on other ships. But they go to the, all the blind spots of the security cameras and just take a dump on the floor. And someone would find it the next day. 
and uh, it was all over the ship. There was one in the shower. There was one in 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 the in the well deck between like Humvees, and there was uh, it. It finally culminated and stopped when someone had taken a dump in the um, in the vending machine room. And some like Navy Master Chief had like stepped in there and stepped in it and slipped and like busted his kneecap in the in the in the doorway. Yeah, it, it, it stopped after that because they realized that if they if it happened again, they were gonna probably get <laughs> court martialed or something. But um, yeah, it was that was that was pretty funny. But um, yeah, so that that stopped right around the time we were in Crete, I believe. So. Yeah, we had uh, we'd gone to Crete. That was pretty cool. Getting to you know check out the the because uh, they would still have you know civilians and you know different cultural things come to the come to the piers to to meet us and we'd get to check it out. So it was cool getting to still have at least interactions with locals and stuff like that. And uh, Crete was a it's a it's a it's a it's a naval port too. So they have a small runway. So you get to see some of the, the uh, Greek fighter planes taken off and they had military personnel that we were getting to talk to and stuff like that. So that was pretty cool. When when we finally packed up and left, that was also the same time that the Navy got busted because someone had taken a picture and made a meme about the, the Iwo, Jima being, Iwo Jima being super rusty. And in three days, they had to repaint the whole ship because they got yelled at by the, I think it was the Secretary of the Navy. And yeah, so in like three days, they painted the whole ship over. And so, yeah, we packed it up out of Crete and uh, rolled out. And that was right around June, I believe. Because uh, it was just starting to get pretty warm around that time. And that was our last stop in the Mediterranean. Because then we got authorization to go to Sixth Fleet in the, in, um, I guess that's the Red Sea on the far end of the Suez Canal. Yeah, I'm pretty sure everything past the Suez, like the the Red Sea, the Persian Gulf, and the Indian Ocean. I'm pretty sure that's all Sixth Fleet AO. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think we we got basically authorization just for the Red Sea. So we had packed it up and rolled out, and we were going to go through the Suez, and that was the second time we were going to to hold security. And they were having us on deck with the javelins. Uh, they had pulled us as extra missilemen because the cat platoon was on one of the other ships. So the jav teams and the LAR missilemen were uh, the ones that they pulled to hold javelin security on the ship. And that was the first time we actually had an area where there was possibly going to be any real threat. So we had had a much more in-depth safety brief and intel brief about, you know, what to look for, things like that. It was still pretty low and pretty safe. I think the the last real incident was like several years beforehand. They had like fired an RPG and it went over the ship and it was wasn't even remotely close to, to hitting anything. But that was like the most that was like probably I think 20, 2018, 2017, something like that. Hey, like- uh, I'm pretty sure I know the incident you're talking about because that was Alpha Company's deployment mm-hmm. at the end of 2016 going into 2017. Yeah, that, that might have been it. A- because when I got to LAR, 
I was with Delta Company, and then Alpha Company came back and they wanted to turn it into a like uh, experimental weapons company. Yeah, for L for LAR, and so all weapons guys got chopped over to uh, Alpha for a little bit. Well, yeah. most of us. Uh, Bravo was gone on their deployment. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, those guys came back, and some of them had like cars because the that the incident with the RPG fired at their ship. Yeah, and uh, the captain of the boat wanted his uh combat action, so everybody that was on the boat got a combat action. Yeah, <laughs> they were most of them to their credit didn't wear it, but a few did, and a few of them were, and a bunch of them were just assholes. Yeah, so. yeah, I it was uh, I think that was the last incident they had talked about. Uh, they they'd said like another vessel had like had a grenade dropped on it off of one of the bridges and. <laughs> That was pretty well secured by the time we'd gotten through there. So for the most part, it was kind of a just kind of chill out. I mean, you're still holding security, but I mean, we had Egyptian trucks following us on the roads next to the Suez the whole time. And they had dudes posted every like 100 yards um, holding security. So it was it was more or less just showing that we were also holding security. But I mean, it was still a security position, but it was it was just supplementary at that point. They, I mean, they were basically like, if anyone takes any fire, just, you know, only return fire if you're like directly taking fire. So it was, it wasn't even like a, a preemptive kind of thing. It was just, you know, holding security because you have to kind of thing. So, and then, but that was, that was pretty cool. Cause I mean, you're just going straight through Egypt on a, uh, on a ship. So you're going through a, na- on a naval ship, basically through the desert. So that's, that's, that's a pretty cool experience. It was getting real hot around that time. That was right around July. So you're sitting on top of an aircraft carrier in Egypt in like June, July. It definitely gets hot. So we were taking shifts. But yeah, we had gone through the Suez, made our way out to Sixth Fleet. And that was, I guess that would have still had to have been June. So it's probably probably mid-June at that point, early mid-June, maybe like June 10th. Uh, don't quite remember ex- the exact date off my head, but yeah, we had gone through there. No, actually, would have had to have been before that because we had spent a good long time in Saudi Arabia. So, I was trying to think. Yeah, so we would have had to. It would have had to have been early June because then we um, we'd gone to Oman. We'd gone. No, we had done training in Saudi Arabia, and yeah, that was it. We'd done training in Saudi Arabia, and that was like um, that was like a month. We were there, and we were we were just doing regular desert ops and and different kinds of training. We tried to bring missiles with us and actually get to shoot. They didn't want to to use them in case we got sent into a combat situation, even though they had a training allotment with them. A lot, of, a lot of good that helped. But, um, yeah, we, we ended up not being able to shoot any missiles. So we mostly, in our training there, we had done some um, we'd done some maneuver training, um, some machine gun ranges. Um, we had done mostly just getting used to the weather in Sixth Fleet, getting used to the desert and stuff like that. I mean, a bunch of us have been done training out in the California deserts, but this is the first time where it was like, you know, foreign desert um, which really wasn't all that much different and 
yeah yeah we've done some cool training we got to do some like you know different stuff we weren't allowed to do in the states like dismount training firing you know straight out of the vehicles and things like that so that was that was pretty fun that was pretty cool i mean it almost got to the point where we had time but couldn't think of things to do so we just thought of cool training to do and we just did it and uh yeah it was it was it was a good time i enjoyed it it was really hot though but it was fun and um at that point we we really thought that was going to be the 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 culminating point of our deployment like that was going to be it like we were just going to do a month in saudi arabia and maybe check out another country or two and then head back home and um so we had left saudi arabia and uh we had moved up the 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 um up the the sea a bit and went to oman and did another port in oman and uh that was when that would have been you know july at that point that was when things started picking up around you know um people started talking about the the whispers about afghanistan and things like that i mean you know it's you, you get those whispers throughout the whole deployment people saying that they heard from some guy from some guy from you know their mom that they're going to go to this place or something else so i mean at that point at that late in the deployment almost none of us we were so skeptical because we had all been told about different things about different training countries all kinds of stuff that was just shot down before we even got ready for it that we were like we're like okay dude well i'll i'll see when i believe it so we had done we'd gone to oman and we started hearing the 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 whispers about you know shit's destabilizing in afghanistan things are going down they're probably gonna you know they're they're pulling out troops and they're, they're things are collapsing things like that so we're like, yeah, but it's probably just, you know, they're going to pull them out. They're going to send them right back or something else. So um, we had we had done Oman. It was that was our last like Liberty port. And um, then then we had gone up the the the, the uh, deeper into the sea and uh, they went. Okay, so we're going to, we secured you guys some more training. So and they said, we're going to hit two birds with one stone. We're going to get you guys into Kuwait, get some more training and things like that. And then Kuwait was on and off and on and off. And then they ultimately said, yes, we're going to send you to Kuwait. You guys are going to hang out there, do some training, chill. If they need you, they need you. Just be ready on standby. So um, we had disembarked. And landed in Kuwait, and uh, the vehicles stayed back. They they disembarked with us, but um, ultimately, the vehicles stayed at the naval yards in Kuwait. Uh, while we all got on buses, they had, they had had a skeletal crew stay back to clean the vehicles when we were in Kuwait, and to do any maintenance that was needed. The rest of us got sent to Al Jaber, uh, which was a Air Force fob if you want to call it a fob and we had waited there uh that was where we actually re-caught up with uh first platoon because they were almost on their whole different deployment because their ship captain is like 
way more fun and actually cared about people. So they got to go to a whole bunch of other countries. They went to, they've spent like, I think a day or two in, in England and they had gone to, uh, I think they were in Israel. Maybe I forget. They went to a couple, they went to like three more countries than we did and actually got to like have time out in town and stuff. So, um, but we had caught up with them at these, um, they were basically abandoned modular rooms that they were using for the, the aircraft dudes or the air force dudes. But, um, they ended up being so old that they were just going to knock them down. But before they knocked them down, they put us up in them, which it's funny because they were still nicer than our barracks rooms. And, um, so we got put up in there and they were like, Hey guys, you know, we're going to, we're going to acclimate. It was ungodly hot in Kuwait. I mean, it was up in the 120s pretty regularly. And that wasn't even like a real feel. That was like the air temperature. It was like 120 degrees. I think one day it pushed like 131. It was, it was hot. And, um, so we had done some, some acclimating PT and stuff like that in the morning. And then we would just kind of mill around all day, just figuring out classes to do, just doubling up on stuff. And the whole time, you're just getting more and more of these whispers down the lane. And now it's starting to come from, like, intel guys and, like, guys who actually have some credibility. They're like, hey, some, some, some shit's starting to go down. Shit's popping off, things like that. And we're like, okay, yeah, right, okay. And then it started coming from the gunnies and the lieutenants and stuff like that. Like, okay, like, then you're starting to kind of get into more of, like, a, you know, a ready mindset and they're like, Hey, yeah, this is no shit. Like just don't, don't, don't be freaking out and stuff like that. Don't be expecting it. Just kind of, you know, mentally prepare in case and stuff like that. And, uh, day by day, you know, it would kind of become more serious and more talked about and it was getting whispered through other platoons and things like that. And, uh, yeah, I think, it was sometime in August, maybe I don't know, sometime around like August 8th, August 10th. They're like, hey, we're on standby, like no shit standby, like pack all your gear, get ready to roll. They had set up a training. They're like, hey, they're going to send you guys in for the evacuations in Afghanistan. Or at least they're they're having you guys on standby for it. So, in the upcoming day and couple days, um, we had done some some uh, you know theoretical classes about like you know they they were it was it was so expedited it's even hard to keep track of. But like they were like showing us how to use how to use the, the, the data entry tools of like, you know, for logging people and, you know, looking for, you know, possible, possible wanteds from, for the FBI and CIA and, and NSA and things like that. And then the next day they're, they're doing detainment techniques and, uh, you know, crowd control on how to use nightsticks and things like that. And then they had set it up with the air force where they got all, non-working air force personnel and they were staging practice evacuation lines where like you know 
it's exactly what you think the Air Force would set up, where it's just, you know, lines of people doing exactly what you say, that they all speak the same language, that they all, you know, you tell them to do something, they comply, and even the non-compliant people are still halfway reasonable and things like that. So it's like the the training did not match what happened in the absolute slightest. It was almost completely useless. Um, and they they had really high hopes. <laughs> for for what was going to happen. Yeah. We got the call that Alpha Company was going in. Alpha Company 18. They were going to get their first response. They had left I think on like the 12th. Uh, I remember that just seeing dudes, you know, very serious grabbing their shit heading over to the staging pavilion, things like that. They were like, hey, you know, they're going in. We're going to follow up eventually. So get your shit ready. We don't know who's going when or who's going what or things like that. So, uh, you know, just get ready. And, uh, you know, they're like, make the preparations you got to make. They're like, don't tell anybody because, you know, we don't know what's going on. We don't want to freak people out we don't want to give away anything about any of that stuff. So they were like, if you, you can kind of tell people, but don't be specific, just be vague. Be like, Hey, that thing in Afghanistan's going down. We're heading out too, you know, that kind of stuff. So, and then we, we were prepared on standby and, uh, the whole, the, Next day, I think they sent Bravo Company, and uh, you know we were just waiting. We were like, we don't know if we're gonna be the last ones or the next ones. There was no, it was everything was by the hip, so we didn't know when we were gonna leave. So they they just had us, you know, ready, and uh, you know they, they told us not to PT, don't do anything, just you know, stand by, just that's the last thing that they need is someone hurting themselves and not being able to go and things like that. So yeah, we, it came down to, I think it was the 14th or the 15th maybe. And, uh, I could have my days wrong. It, it, around that time it was so difficult to keep track of, of what was going on just because of, so much inconsistency with the word and what was happening because uh, it would change by the minute if that like and uh, so we had we had actually gotten the call to stage probably three or four times before we actually you know were like leaving you know um First platoon went before us. They staged. They ended up waiting there. I don't think that they left without us. And, you know, we had been staged, and then they came back, and then we staged, and then we came back. And then it was just this, you know, we were, we were starting to get annoyed because, you know, it was, it was this. I mean, it's a lot of gear that you're moving, and you're walking through Kuwait. It's not, it's not a breeze in a park, but that was just like setting the tone for just the inconsistency the whole time. So we 
eventually got the 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 like the no shit call like hey you're definitely going this time which even then we didn't know if it was still definite we were we were still i mean literally up until the point we had boots on the ground in afghanistan we were waiting for the plane to turn around like we we still had no faith in any of the absoluteness about what was going on so um they gave us it wasn't until we started loading magazines and um, that it started dawning on us what we were going to do. And they had actually given us hollow point rounds, which was the first time I'd ever been issued hollow points for the fact that they, if they were, they were expecting such a density of people that if we had to engage people, they didn't want overpenetration and civilians like three and four deep behind them to get hurt. So they started issuing us hollow points for that specific reason. And, uh, you know, we had been keeping track on the news. We had actually had to follow the news because of the word coming from our, not even, it's not even their fault, like our direct chain of command. They had not even gotten word so much that nobody knew what was going on. So we had to keep track with the news, even while we were there, guys who had their phones were following like, you know. CNN and Fox and all these just to find out what the hell's going on because um, you know we had no word from anybody so we we knew basically we were going into at that point it had already fallen and it had been completely controlled by the Taliban and um, we knew that we were going into a hostile environment we had already gotten reports that alpha company had taken engagements and they had two confirmed kills so we were already expecting this to be an absolute nightmare we got in the rundown about the layout of kabul about how it's just a bowl you know it's surrounded basically on two sides by mountains and the rest of the airport is within a city so you're basically surrounded by hotels high-rise hotels all the way around the, uh, the airport. So they were, you know, explaining to us that, you know, there's really nowhere to take cover. You're going to be watched the whole time. They have the high ground at all times. Uh, they've already taken engagements, you know, things like that. We had seen before we had left, they had already, they had already had the, the, the storming of the runway while we were still in Kuwait and um, we'd seen the footage re like b- very soon before we left of the plane taking off and people falling off and things like that. So, and to, to a bunch of the guys, I mean, it's messed up, but it was still like, it was still like not even a real thing. And a lot of, you know, a lot of guys didn't, find it specifically funny but just like man this is this is such a mess look at this you know things like that you know just kind of like looking it's like watching all you know a horrible video on the internet but it's like not pertinent to you it's not real so you don't have any real sentiment towards it so um you know there was there was guys who were just like oh this is this is messed up but you know whatever man and uh we ended up loading up onto uh, buses 
and they took us to the the Kuwait airport and um, from there I'm trying to remember if we no I guess I guess from there we took a I believe it was a passenger plane to uh, Qatar and um, maybe I'm wrong maybe it was a Maybe it was a uh, C-17 that we took from Kuwait to Qatar. But I remember we we had to stop in Qatar because we were going to make a direct flight straight to Afghanistan, but the runway got taken over again. And um, the uh, we got reports that the ANA had showed up on scene, or at least the ANA Special Forces, and that they were assisting. And that other nations were assisting, things, uh, Turkey and um, you know uh, other nations in in the area were also assisting at the airport. So uh, we we had stopped in Qatar, and when we had unloaded from the plane, we were going to wait in a waiting area while they refueled the plane, did some last minute maintenance that they needed to do, then we were going to reload. Uh, whenever the, they could. And we had passed, we'd seen another C-17 sitting on the runway surrounded by uh, emergency vehicles and with all their lights going off and things like that. And we were curious as to what, what was going on. And then we had found out that that was the plane that had taken off from Afghanistan and they were there because they were they had found a body in the landing gear and they were trying to unwedge it from the 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 uh i think it was the left side landing gear maybe it was the right side but it looked like they were working on the left side landing gear they had all flashlights up in there uh trying to unwedge this uh this person's body and that's when it was a lot more sobering because the the plane we had watched on the video was right there and we realized we were we were getting closer and closer as as the hours passed and uh i guess i guess that was probably around the same time that we had gotten the reports of of alpha company taking taking uh taking fire and and uh engaging two taliban fighters and killing them and um that's when things started to start to speed up and uh, we chilled out for a few hours trying to, to find out as much as we could following the news. A couple of the guys had made friends with guys in Alpha Company. So those guys who were able to talk were trying to, but I don't know how successful they were. It was how busy that they were trying to, to handle everything there. And um, I think before... Before it was even light, we got back on to, I guess it was, it, this time it, we were definitely on a C-17 because this was the plane that actually took us into um, Afghanistan. And uh, they had packed us in like sardines, absolute sardines. You know, we were basically sitting with our equipment 
running perpendicular or parallel to us in between. And everyone was just sitting, you know, back to chest, you know, with your legs up and in, you know, it was highly uncomfortable, but everyone was just, it was very strange because it was, I mean, it was loud. You could hear the engines, but those, those C-17s fly extremely smooth. So there was no turbulence. There was no, it, it almost felt like you were, you were sitting on the ground. There's no window. So you can't see out, see that you're flying. So all we had was some dim lights and the sound of the engines. Other than that, really nobody talked. It was just quiet the whole flight in. Everyone was just getting mentally prepared after, you know, hearing about the engagements and watching the videos and things like that. And we got told that we were getting ready to land and it was the next morning. It was about a five hour flight. I think we showed up. Oh, I don't know. Some sometime in the morning, probably around like nine ish, give or take an hour or two. Around nine in the morning. And we landed and uh, I was I was personally expecting the amount of, of contact we had heard and the amount of gunfire. I was almost expecting especially essentially D-Day with sniper fire. I was expecting just as soon as we they saw more troops coming out of the plane snipers to just start shooting at us and uh, so they were like hey just get ready to just run off the plane if you need to 